Earbud Media. Audio for everyone. Okay, I'm recording. Okay, I'm talking. And me too as well. Oh, wow. Oh, 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 wow. And that's the podcast. Welcome back, listeners. I'm Shayna. I'm Bryce. And this is Charmed, the Spellcast. By Mickey Mouse. Uh, We can't use that. The copyright's not in. Frick! Yeah, it's on the public domain yet. Okay. Um, Uh, Steamboat Willie. (laughs) (laughs) Is that public domain? I don't know. Do you know? I want to know. Soon, right? It Well, it should be if it's not already. I don't know. Because they, they've had their centennial, right? Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Me neither. <laughs> I'm just spitballing here. I said, oh, yeah. And then I was like, maybe. And then I ended with, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> hey, you listening there. Have you heard about the witches with the really nice hair and for 90s style and kicking ass and taking names when names are worthwhile and knowing how to fight like girls in this patriarchal demon infested world they're the charmed ones they're the charmed ones they're the charmed ones charmed a spellcast so hello, yes, welcome back to us, the two idiots, mm-hmm. having a really good time. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very tired though, because because <laughs> because is this right away the manor keeping? Yes, because right away manor keeping. Because um, yesterday, last night, um, I was fortunate enough to organize and moderate a panel called "Mom, I'm a Slayer," coming out in '90s fantasy television which featured such wonderful shows as Xena Warrior Princess, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and also Charmed, <laughs> and looked into the queer metaphors, subtext, and euphemism utilized by American television in the 90s. Um, and so, yeah, that event went up. It was wonderful. At NYU, it was free. We filled two whole classrooms, and we were joined by the amazing Kristen Russo and Heather Hogan. Oh, Oh my God. I don't know how to express how joyous the entire thing was as an organizer, but also just as someone who would have wanted to attend that panel. Oh, okay. It was great. We talked a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that I had never really thought about before that was brought to light in terms of subtext and euphemism being kind of like gentler ways for people to uh, um, to acknowledge their queerness without having come out. Uh, and um, yeah, it was wonderful. There there was a video recording of it and we'll be putting that up somewhere soon for any of you to see if you would like. But I just wanted to say thank you so much to Kristen and to Heather and to NYU and to Bryce. Bryce came to support and it was wonderful to see her there. I did come to support. I was an attendee to the organized event by Shayna Macy Warner, and I will vouch that it was a success, like a resounding success. Like when she says two rooms, that wasn't originally originally planned. It was one room, and then so many people RSVP'd and showed up that they had to have an overflow room, which they broadcast the panel and the um, episode that she showed on too. I was simulcast. She was simulcast. It was wild. I. It was such a good night. I went with my roommate, one of my roommates, and the I told Shayna this afterwards, but I will reiterate it because I think it deserves to be said again, but the space that you created for people to talk about things in a way that they might have been musing on for many years but never been able to verbalize was such a magical like realization. Like I I told you that when Heather Hogan said reflecting back on my childhood and realizing how far I've come, like this is such a monumental feeling. And I was like realizing in that moment that this was not just a learning experience for everyone in the room, but also for the panelists themselves. Yeah, which was incredible because they verbalized it in a way that was so eloquent. Oh yeah. And elegant and engaging, uh, the three E's. (laughs) Um, And I feel very thankful and grateful to have been in that room in any capacity. Yeah. So it was a moment of great self-reflexivity. Mm. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I am reflexivizing <laughs> on myself. Um, but yeah, so we'll put that video up. And uh, yeah, I forgot to plug our podcast. 
She did, and I was... Oh, I felt stupid. Don't feel stupid. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. You know what they should have done? Is they should have, like, let you put a slide in. Oh. Because then you could have, like, broadcast the uh, panelists' pictures and their, like, uh, Instagram or whatever handles. You're right. I definitely could have done that. Um, it wasn't a question of letting me do anything. I just didn't think about it. Well, you had a lot to think about. Yeah. It was also your first event that you've hosted for this... Um, what exactly for cinema studies for cinema studies yeah for the department which is yeah which is totally fine there's a lot of stuff that i would do differently Mm -hmm. but the end result was magnificent can't say Um, that yes and we got to introduce a lot i got to introduce a lot of people to the inherent queerness of charmed yeah which was fun and that was the first episode of buffy i had seen besides the musical episode and i gotta say i'm very intrigued yes 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 so yeah, that's all. That's really all the manner keeping I have. I do have a piece of manner keeping that I would like to share. Uh, today and tomorrow, I will be attending the Narrative in Humanities and Natural Sciences um, conference hosted at Columbia. And today was a great day. A lot of speakers had such interesting things to say about the way that the brain processes narrative and uses it to understand not just science, but also the world around us and interpersonal communication. And do you know who Robert uh, Krolwich is? Yeah, yes, I know, you do. I know. <laughs> so, okay, so Robert Krolwich is one of the co hosts of Radiolab, and he was one of the speakers and presenters today at this conference. Oh my God. And I gotta say, listening to him through the speakers in the room was like such a surreal experience because I was looking at him talk and I was like, this is a weird thing. I've never seen your mouth move and heard your voice at the same time. Doesn't he have a fantastic voice too? Yeah, I could fall into it. It was so comfortable. Oh, that's so awesome. But he gave a really great presentation on the idea of metaphor, which made me think about the discussion that you had yesterday with your panelists. And he brought a new um, twist to it. And his idea was that metaphors, I mean, this is probably not a new thing. It's kind of stating the obvious, but he said it in such an eloquent way. So (laughs) anyway, he said that metaphors break down things so that the unfamiliar can become familiar. And this was similar to what Heather was saying about how if you can recognize the queer coding in the metaphors, then you like feel like you're inside the joke. And that is like something that metaphors can help us do. They can give us power. Um, but he also said that it can make, wait, let me, let me write, see the note that I wrote down because I want to say it in the way that he said it. Um, he said that metaphors are a deeply human act. They create a feeling and a connection instead of just literal restating of facts or events. They say, let's take this concept and say it in a way that can speak to a deeper understanding of what we have. Like, let me give the uh, description or the um, example that he gave. He said that there was a science writer from Britain who was like their great science writer or whatever. He was from the 50s or 60s. And he was trying to understand the concept of erosion. And he was looking at the Grand Canyon and he, and he was like, how did this giant rift in the earth form? And he wrote that it was created by the magnificent violence hidden in a raindrop. And it wasn't just like, these are the scientific processes. It was like, this is my human interpretation of these physical events. That is both beautiful and maddening because you can never, like, you can't capture exactly what happened. Yes, yeah. But you can turn it into something that enough people will understand, like, and begin to grasp the meaning behind an event that you can visualize. Mm Mm-hmm but can't necessarily verbalize completely, Mm -hmm. uh, like, deed for deed. And I think I could also say that all communication is flawed. We all, we, there's a concept that we will always know more than we can say. And he did bring up the idea that metaphors are flawed. Sometimes they can bring a sense of ideology to a concept that didn't have this uh, social structure attached to it. For instance, if we had a metaphor in which everything was placed under like some kind of heteronormative framework, then that would just reinforce it by using those metaphors. Mm. So that is a problematic thing. But the way that Heather and Kristen talked about the use and power of metaphor was a good way to link um, the potential that I think that perhaps Robert Krolwich didn't fully, wasn't fully able to emphasize. 
Anyway, that's my manner keep. My on. panel did better than Robert Krolwich. <laughs> So there. You know what was so silly was after his talk, there was like a quick break, and so many people like went to him and like were flocking around him, and I was like, look at all these freaking public radio nerds. That's so funny. I would be there. I would would. be the public radio nerd. Okay. You brought me so much joy by talking about Robert Quilwich. So thank you for that. I mean, you brought me so much joy by creating such a beautiful panel and viewing event yesterday. Joy to the both of us, but no one else. I guess we won't throw this out. It brings us joy. Ah! <laughs> Thanks, Marie Kondo. Okay, so now we're done. Okay, now we're <laughs> done. So, what is the large metaphor behind this episode? Um, don't steal stuff that wow. doesn't belong to you. That's not a metaphor. It's... A fact of life. That's the law. <laughs> That's the law. Okay, so do you want to jump right in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Feats of Clay. This is season one, episode 11 of Charm. So this aired January 20th, 1999. It was written by so many people. No, really? Yeah, I, maybe that's why it's so confused. It was written <laughs> by Javier Grillo. Oh, gosh, I can't pronounce his last name. M-A-R-X-U-A-C-H. Michael Perricone, Greg Elliott, Chris Levinson, and Zach Estrin, all writers that we've seen before on this season, and directed by Kevin Inch. Hmm, okay. The dream team. Oh, is it? I don't know. I don't know. This episode, the entire premise was, like, disappointing. Okay. To me. Um, only exacerbated by the fact that it was such, like, a one-dimensional representation of a curse from ancient Egypt. yeah. And I was like, yo, you could at least make it interesting. But it was not that interesting. It was morally obtuse. This episode did give me pause halfway through when I was thinking about how, uh, white the guardian of the vase looked and then i thought interesting concept that charmed often has to reach out to other cultural interpretations of magic to explain the world of wicca in charmed and i thought about what an interesting um what's the word convention that was yeah, it's it's not an unfamiliar convention mm-hmm. by any means. Um, for instance, Xena. Oh. <laughs> I mean, we've brought this up before, but Xena is another one of those shows that directly derives from Greek mythology, mm-hmm. but it also reaches out to as many kind of superficialities of other cultures' mythos that it can mm-hmm. because it wants to bring in these sort of original characters Mm -hmm. but base them off of something that is pre-existing and create a mysticism around them Uh and that's exactly what this episode did as well yeah it it created it created a mysticism in the way the character was presented in the way the character spoke dressed wore a lot of eyeliner (laughs) um but did not dig anywhere under the surface of what like Egyptian mythology is yeah or religion or culture or anything literally at one point oh my goodness at one point and we're skipping ahead but Clay and Phoebe are walking and Clay goes Phoebe you would have loved Egypt pyramids giant sphinx camel camel taxis that's it that's all he saw through his white male lens. Yeah, so that's all he saw, but also that is all the writers saw. That's all they know. They, they just know Egypt from picture books. Yeah, or that's what we're to assume because this episode sure didn't give us that much of it. Yeah, and this is not a new thing for Charm. Like, they consistently draw on other cultural... Religion, mythology, yeah. ideologies. Yes, yeah. exactly. And... Sometimes it's, like, done okay. Like, I thought the one with... Uh, John Cho? John Cho. I thought the one with John Cho wasn't too bad. I thought the one with the Greek uh, god... Hecate. Hecate was interesting. <laughs> that was abhorrent. <laughs> but, um, anyway. Yeah. 
Mm. Okay. There's, yep, yep. All it's right. like they use names, but that's it. Yeah, I do find it, and this is from watching two episodes of Buffy and nothing else, I do find it interesting how when you are able to use uh, supernatural creatures that are placed in a particular cultural framework, like vampires are very Eastern European or whatever, or like they're very attached to, um, uh, what's that religious city? The one in Twilight. The Vatican. The Vatican. <laughs> oh, the Volturi. <laughs> Um, anyway, when you when you when you do that, then you really constrain the world, and you're able to like give it I, more respect. Even though like I'm not saying Buffy respects the Vatican, I'm just saying that like there feels you, you can give more depth to it than I think you can in a single episode. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think that once Charmed moves past Monster of the Week mm-hmm. format, and Buffy does that as well, then they do find things to build off of. They actually mm. create arcs for the characters and they also expand upon mythology for whatever foe and a lot of the time that foe will be some supernatural force yeah okay because i'd be very interested to see how a world of american witchcraft is constructed Mm -hmm. we'll get there cool all right let's uh, let's do the thing we've dilly-dallied we we've dilly-dallied okay so we start off this episode in Cairo. Yes. And we know that because there's a sphinx. It's the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I think that's going to be our episode title. Um, <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark Redux. <laughs> so three shady dudes are breaking into a museum, and they're stealing a vase, a mm-hmm. vase, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, they break through the glass yes. of the, the door and unlock the door, but then the vase is just sitting there, <laughs> unprotected. High security. High security. And um, then they steal it. Except. Oh. Except. Yes. The guardian of the urn appears after one of the guys has taken the vase. And the guardian of the urn is like, no, you small man, uh, you must perish. Take this spider from my brooch. <laughs> she throws a big old spider at him. Yeah. And then he screams, he falls, and he dies. He did. Um, but one of the men who had taken the vase and was told to run off and hawk it and get money had not seen this death. But the other of the three men had, and he is frightened. Yes. And they knew there was a curse. Yes. So two of them knew there was a curse. One of them died. The other guy who had been given the vase to go auction it off, did not know there was a curse. No, indeed. He would have been too suspicious. <laughs> um, okay, so, yes. Man dies. Man and lady dies. who appears is white. <laughs> Very white. <laughs> with a lot of eyeliner. Mm, indeed. And a big old costume design. Yes. Big old headdress big kind old of headdress thing. Dripping in jewels. Yes. And gold. And a bare midriff. Ah, I wonder if this was written by five men. You need the midriff to aerate, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, and uh, to give you an idea of what the vase is, just in case you go through this episode and you're like, oh, it's a little pot. It was a big, slender, long, blue, lacquered thing with uh, interesting inscriptions like scorpions and whatever. Lapis lazuli. Lapis. Lapis. Of Steven Universe fame. What? On the boss. (laughs) Rebecca Sugar, if you're out there. It's just love. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, um, yes. So three days later, we are told uh, we're at the Hallowell Manor. Yes. And uh, what are they talking about? I can't remember. Uh, Phoebe is telling her sisters that her ex, Clay, is paying them a visit. Ah, yes. Don't pay visits with exes. Ever. Break up with someone forget they exist <laughs> that's what we've learned from this episode <laughs> goodbye um okay so they're discussing how he's arriving and then suddenly there's a knock at the door and it is clay one of the men who had been stealing urine. the urn <laughs> yes it was the man who did not know that the urn possessed a powerful powerful curse uh phoebe embraces him happily and gets a vision of the two of them making Stuff. Making cookies. cookies. Nope. It's love. They're making (laughs) love. What's the song from like, did Bernadette Peters sing it? Making Whoopi. Making Whoopi. 
Yeah. I think that's where I was going. <laughs> Making cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Making cookies. <laughs> this is a family-friendly show. Um, yes, so she gets this vision, uh, which is interesting. Can you imagine if that power <laughs> was available to you as, like, a dating tool? Yeah, you would literally be able to do, um, you would be able to literally predict the intention of others, which is often a source of neurosis for many people. Oh, that is true. But you would not have context. Also true. You wouldn't know how far ahead Mm -hmm. this vision is. You would not know in what situation. You would not know if you were enthusiastic or if it was just kind of an inevitability. You're so right. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> Speaking from experience of having this terrible power. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So cut the credits. Cut to credits. Cut back out of credits. You know, just chip chop all the way around. Uh, chip chop San Francisco. Now we're in Quake. Hello, Quake. And uh, in Quake, uh, Phoebe, no, not Phoebe, Piper and Prue are having a conversation, but Piper keeps being distracted by a waiter, Doug who is dropping things everywhere. And he should be fired, absolutely. Except Piper keeps freezing him right as he's dropping something and and cleaning up his mess because he knows she knows that Doug is going through a hard time. Mm -hmm. Because his girlfriend Shelly just broke up. Waitress. Waitress Shelly. Yes. Waitress Shelly broke up with him moments or not moments, but like not too long before he thought he was going to propose. Yes. So he is devastated, and every time they see each other, he drops whatever silverware he is holding. Relatable. (laughs) I turn the other way if I run into an ex. Oh, wait, no, I don't. You know why? Why? I've scrubbed their memory. Yeah. From my memory. (laughs) (laughs) Eternal sunshine to the crap out of it. Ah. Um, That's not true. I'm actually friends with a lot of my exes. But for dramatic effect... Mm -hmm. I drop all the silverware. <laughs> uh, okay, and Prue thinks that this is not going to be a very sustainable solution. No, and Piper's thinking, well, no, but also I am a romantic and I will help if I can. So she keeps freezing. Wonderful. Yeah, and she says she's getting better control of her powers. Yeah, yeah. which is fun. Which is awesome. Uh, meanwhile, Phoebe and Claire are taking a walk around sunny, sunny San Francisco. Yeah, foggy, foggy San Francisco. <laughs> and they're uh, giving enough context for us to understand the backstory that occurred between these two in New York. Yes. They were together when Phoebe needed him most, but then when she needed him most again, <laughs> he vanished. Ah, uh, and then the four nations, <laughs> <laughs> earth, water. Uh, okay, so... Um, Phoebe is unsure about giving Clay a second chance. Yeah, and he says, yeah, I get that. And I was like, hmm, interesting. You, wow. Thanks for not pushing it, buddy. But then he did push it, and that was a bummer. And he tells her about an urn that he yes. picked up in his travels at a market. That, at an overseas market. An overseas market. And he would in like Egypt. to, and he would like to auction it off. And Phoebe's like, "Ah, so you were just coming to visit so that you could get me to convince my sister to hawk this yarn, this yarn." <laughs> Why do you keep saying it like that? I think that? it's sunny. I do too. Damn it. <sighs> um, yes, to hawk this yarn, and she says, "Well, thank goodness. I thought you were trying to convince me to get back together with you." Ha. Good heavens, Lord, no. Good. <laughs> Get that damn out of here. Cut to the auction house. Cut to the auction house. And Prue's like, oh, you picked it up in an overseas well, market? First oh, we meet Claire Price. You're right. Claire Price. <laughs> what? <laughs> hit, your, hit your head over. <laughs> okay, okay. What? Okay. No, no, no. Backing it up. Zooming out. What a hit the the nail on the head kind yes. of name, Claire Price. Yes. She has no prior knowledge about auction houses or um, fine art, but she knows how to run a business. There is one thing I know about. 
money. <laughs> so she was sent in after the scandal caused by Hannah and Rex to clean up the finances for the Buckland Auction House. Yeah, remember Hannah and Rex? Oh, yeah. Me neither. Oh, wait, no. Last episode, they, they died. Oh, they dead now. They dead. Oh, they you know they creepy. did. They were creepy. They were kinky and creepy. <laughs> and... And now they're dead. I was trying to find another rhyme, but I couldn't. Oh, kinky, creepy. Sleepy. Oh. <laughs> kind of. The astral projected. That's, you know. Kinky, creepy, creme brulee. That, I want that to be our title. <laughs> we should make a cookbook. Now. We should have a, a cookbook um, that spawns from this. It's, it's part of our franchise. Yes. Okay. Rex and Hannah. Kinky, creepy, creme brulee. Yeah, we can have a... Baked good for every single character. I like it. All right. Uh, tune in next week for when I don't write that book. Uh, oh, bummer. So Claire Bryce. Claire, oh. Claire Bryce? <laughs> Claire Bryce Wong? I know her. <laughs> Claire Bryce is uh, laying down the law to um, Prue, telling her that if we don't make $1.3 million back by tomorrow, this auction house is going under. And Prue says, wait a minute, that's not feasible. And and Claire Price goes, I don't care what's feasible. You make it happen. The queen has decreed it. I must go now to my chambers. Exactly. And so she goes to her chambers. And on the way out, Phoebe and Clay come in. And Phoebe does this little kind of a dance of like, <laughs> oh, am I going to go this way? Are you going that or, uh, Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Which I related to. And she immediately caught on that Claire Price was a lady you do not want to tussle with. Yeah. But I don't think Clay got that. I don't think Clay understands anything. No. He, like, he, he was so blasé at the discovery oh, of gosh. magic later on. He was so blasé and bland. Yes. Yeah. man is bland. He's a bland boy. Uh, why do they keep throwing bland boys at Alyssa Milano? I will never understand. She outshines them. She's so fiery. Like the sun. Like the sun. Okay, so Phoebe tells Prue that Clay has a yearn, an urn, and he would like to sell it for money. Much, much money. Well, not necessarily, just money. Just He wants to move it out. Mm -hmm. And uh, Prue says, ah, yes, this yearn that you picked up at an overseas market. Picked up, did you? Where's the paperwork? Ah, and he's like, no, I just, you know. And she's like, mm, stole it, did you? And he's like, mm, I don't know. And then Phoebe goes, oh, you do this for me, right? I'll do anything. I'll cook you dinner. Prue's like, don't threaten me. Oh, <laughs> that was actually like a really um, clever quip that I appreciated. It was, it was cute, but not yes. understandable at all, given Prue's position as like head of an auction house. Yeah. Anyway, she does this favor for Phoebe. Phoebe and Clay make their exit and run into Palmer, the other living, the only other living individual from the thievery, the trio of thieves. The thievery, the riggery, the... The rigor mortis. The conflamma. Conflamma. Yeah. The rigor mortis. Wow, whamma blamma. Okay. Uh, and then, pla- uh, plammer. Palmer and Clay exchange some cryptic words. Yes, outside the auction house. Mm-hmm. And Phoebe's like, mm, that guy doesn't look like he's up to any good. What's the big idea? What's the big idea? And um, Clay's like, uh, no need to worry about it, dear. But there is a need to worry. There is a need to worry. But there is. Mah! Okay. So then we follow Palmer on the rest of his journey post running into Clay, and he goes to, I don't, like a shipping the area? The docks, where I guess they've shipped his buddy's body. Pier 39. <laughs> Fisherman's Wharf. That's, you know, where they do this kind of stuff. Yeah, they ship bodies. <laughs> um, and he goes to the crate that I presume holds the body, and he, like, says, I'm sorry, buddy. And then a magical sticker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Disappears. I wrote that too. Oh, you did? Yeah. A magical sticker disappears from the side of the crate, and we are to presume that the curse is moving on to the next victim. It's so strange. A sticker? (laughs) Why is this in the form of a sticker? It could be in the form of anything. She loves her arts and crafts. She loves those Lisa Frank stickers. (laughs) Rest in peace. R.I.P. Lisa Frank. Okay, so, uh, bye, Palmer. Okay, Piper is receiving a call, and then she has to go because Doug keeps dropping things, and he is exhausting her, 
to a point where he drops something in front of Shelly and she's just too tired to freeze. Yes, that is what I recall. Too poop to pop, he says. <laughs> Which is, is that a phrase? I don't think so. Okay. At least not now, but perhaps it was then. Sorry, Doug. Too poop to pop. Too poop to pop. Um, then we go to dinner time, where Clay and Phoebe are eating their great feast of takeout Chinese. Uh, and Clay uh, reveals that he wants to get back together. And Phoebe says, oh, I like you, Clay, but I, it took a long time to get over you, and I just want to be careful. So Clay and Phoebe discuss the nature of their relationship over Chinese food. <laughs> and then um, uh, some other events occur. And then we go to the attic where Piper is discovered by her sisters attempting to put a charm on Doug that will make him more confident and hopefully confess his love to waitress Shelly and stop dropping all of her plates. And she doubled the recipe, <laughs> uh, um, which turns out to be a very bad idea. Wow, Piper's like fully embracing the abilities and like tools that magic can give her. Oh dear, oh dear. Okay. She's, uh, she's doing a little 180. So now it's the next day and it's time for the auction to save all auctions. Yes, indeed. Except at the auction, Claire hands a piece of paper that says, well, the urn is worth many, many monies, yeah. except it's stolen. Weep-woo, weep-woo. <laughs> and Prue's like, dang it, I knew I should not have done such an irresponsible thing as promised to my sister that I'll just casually move this urn up in the auction without vetting it. Hmm. She says to no one, Shana says to herself, because she's really tired of this thing happening and irresponsible museum curators and auction house owners. Anyway. I didn't know it was such a big trend. It is. Such an uptick. It is. I don't know about auction houses, but it is in museum curatorship. Oh, man. Anyhow. Okay, so Prue knows that the urn is stolen. She subtly removes it from the um, items up for auction, and she returns to her office where... There's Palmer. Palmer. Palmer says there's a curse. Yeah, he says, look, lady. Look, lady. You were supposed to sell the vase. <laughs> what are you doing? There, you know, you got to move it because there's a curse on it. And Don't got like, all day, lady. Oh, no. What do you mean, a curse? He's like... You gotta trust me on this. Just, just give me the, give me the vase, the urn, whatever. And she uses her powers to move the urn back and forth, and then she feigns surprise. Yeah. She's like, oh, "Oh no, it's really cursed!" Oh no! <laughs> My favorite trope. Again, actors acting like they're not actors pretending to act. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the guy is spooked and he's like, ah, it's too late. The curse. The, uh, yeah, what was that accent? I don't know. The I'm not good at accents. <laughs> the coice, man. Oh, no, they got the coice placed Lady, on the coice is here. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. Call the hoist. Before the coice. <laughs> Before the coice. <laughs> So he uh, takes off, and uh, Prue's like, ah, now I gotta deal with this. Yeah, what curse? What curse? Yeah. Um, Piper and Phoebe, meanwhile, are having a big long talk where Phoebe expresses her concern over giving Clay a second chance. Mm hmm. And Piper does this whole thing where she's like, well, you know. You should give people second chances because Piper is trusting and romantic. Yeah, she is. Oh, what a sweet little baby. Mm. Um, but she does tell Phoebe that maybe in the long run, the best person for them are as simple and uh, harmless as Doug, the dropper of plates. Yeah, which is a weird thing to say she was like just settle yeah just <laughs> settle, settle Phoebe just settle even though the wrong guys are more interesting just settle just settle and again I thought a man wrote this <laughs> a man who was like why won't she settle for me yeah five men wrote this <laughs> they've been spurned none of whom truly understand psyches other than their own they write what they know I'm an angry feminist I understand angry feminisms mm. yes blanket statement <laughs> <laughs> okay so they have this talk I was left with uh, disagreement but that's alright because they came to their conclusion um, and now we cut to 
well, we're still in the restaurant, but now we cut to Doug in the restaurant, and he is flipping bottles, doing some fancy moves. Margarita shaking. Behind the bar there. Turns out he's got a lot of confidence now, and suddenly it makes you good at flipping bottles. It does. It also makes you into a real big jerk. Yeah. And a womanizer. And a womanizer. And a misogynist. Yeah. He was like, who cares about Shelly when there's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? And I was like, Shelly's not a day of the week. Nope. It is a nice shell on the beach that you named Shelly because you enjoyed the color. Bryce is very sensitive today. (laughs) And I appreciate that about her. And I also agree. uh, Women are not days of the week. No, they're not. Unless Um, they could be months like January Jones. Ooh. Who they did not bring back to Netflix. You're thinking of Jessica Jones. Oh, damn, I am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. No, 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 no. If we had planned that, that would be really funny. (laughs) It's still funny. But I think we're at the start of a a Nick Kroll, John Mulaney comedy routine with that one. Uh, Okay. Anyway, Um, so Dougie is a jerk. So if you're confident, you're a jerk. And if you're... Not confident and you're insecure, then you drop plates and women will never want to be with you. But you, we should settle for you, apparently. But we should settle for you. Ah, man. Guys what? have it so rough out here. Okay. Uh, so now the next thing that happens is that Palmer um, is doing something. And Palmer's in his motel room and he's packing up to leave. Yes. Oh, so this is not going to be a good night for him. No. Um, because the guardian of the urn materializes in his shabby hotel or motel room and it's like you must pay for your greed yes that's what she always says Mm -hmm. you have well essentially you've sinned but you are you are motivated by greed greeted and for that you must die by scorpion but she says the same thing every single time she i don't understand the well is this urn like a moral compass oh okay i i wondered if it was like a sack like a sacred object but it seems like it just has a guardian and she's like the genie in the urn yeah nobody actually explains anything about the urn itself it just has a curse attached to it yeah this so again shallow use of this plot device yeah very okay so anyway she throws a scorpion at him and uh and then they clean it up and post (laughs) This scorpion, too, doesn't look like it's doing anything all that harmful. It's just kind of wiggling on him. <laughs> and Palmer is going, ah, ah, no, what? And the scorpion's like, <laughs> it's like crawling up him and he's like, ah, oh, it's dragging me this way, it's dragging me that way. I don't know. Anyway, he collapses and he is dead. Holy dead. And I would also like to talk about the special effect they use to make the guardian materialize and okay. dematerialize. Um, it's the same effect that's used in the 1997 TV <sighs> version of Cinderella Oh, for Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother, um, in which this the like golden halo shimmers oh, yes, around yes. her. Um, and Cinderella was one of my <laughs> formative uh, pieces of visual media, so that's why I have this great analysis here anyway that's fun (laughs) yes it's fun except whitney houston is much better at everything than the guardian of the no shade to this actress yes because i'm sure her direction was just like be mysterious and monotone yes but she is not dynamic in any way yeah yeah you are a metaphor for uh don't not sinning you're not a real goddess or guard or whatever. Yeah. You just, you're some dude's idea of what an ancient Egyptian curse should be feminized. Yes. yes. She's the personification of a, uh, of a caricature of Egyptian curses. Yeah. And it makes me laugh, but it makes me laugh in shame. Shama. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. Okay. So anyway, dead. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Palmer's dead. Uh, and then Phoebe, meanwhile, is hanging out with Clay. They're doing their like, oh, what outfit should we wear to the concert today? Um, and then things heat up and they get in bed. I don't like this either because she says no many, many times and mm-hmm. he keeps going many times. And in this case, the writers and Clay think that no means convince me. Mm-hmm. It does not. Also, they have no chemistry. Yeah. Well, None. he also is not a real human. He is simply a stick figure. Yeah, exactly. He is he is a popsicle stick. Mm-hmm. He's a popsicle stick human. Yes. And it's one of those things where it's like, is this man attractive or is he tall? <laughs> He's tall. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> That's really fun. Uh, okay, so he's tall. And he has no personality. And he has blue eyes, and he's bland. Yes. And Alyssa Milano is working really hard in this to convince me that they have some sort of connection. Yeah. And even she cannot save it. Okay, so they do the they they do the deed and Prue, they make cookies. They make cookies, and meanwhile downstairs, Prue storms into the uh, living room and is like, "Where is Phoebe? I we gotta tell her that the urn has been stolen." And uh, Phoebe, uh, Piper's like, "Oh, she's upstairs, but you might want to not." And but but by that time, Prue has stormed upstairs, and Piper's like, "Oh, this is not gonna be good." And Prue opens the door on a very tame makeout session yeah. under the sheets. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the deed has been finished quite quickly. Or it's in the middle of oh. happening. That's what I think it was. I think that is their depiction of sex. Cool. Cool, 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 <laughs> cool, cool. Um, so Prue is uh, embarrassed and Phoebe's angry and cut the credit or cut to commercial. Yeah. Cut to commercial. And cut then back get away. Out. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. And uh, Phoebe's like, Prue, what the freaking heck? And Prue's like, I didn't want to see that. Trust me. I did not. It was boring. It was awful. <laughs> also, you're my sister. But this is Shayna. It was boring. It was awful. Uh, this is heterosexuality at its worst and least enjoyable. That man is a popsicle stick. He's a popsicle stick. In the shape of a tall person. And Prue says, and by the way, he's a thief. <gasps> Shots fired. A liar and a thief. Um, and then she explains that the urn, the paperwork for the urn has come in, and it turns out that, that it was not bought in an overseas market, but that it had been stolen from a museum. Yeah. Okay. Bummer. Detective Trudeau. Detective Trudeau. In his five-second cameo. Yeah, I wish he was in it more. Yeah. I like Andy. So he uh, he's at the crime scene of the guy, of Palmer, who had been killed by the uh, scorpion. And he's like, ah, let me guess. Oh, well, first the coroner's like, by the way. If I didn't know any better, I would say it's a scorpion sting. But that's ridiculous. There are no scorpions in San Francisco. <laughs> this makes no sense. <laughs> this is totally unnecessary. Okay. Uh, and he says something about how... We found a business card. Yes, that was it. Yeah. We found a business card in his pocket for Buckland. And Andy goes, let me guess. Prue Hallowell? Ah, I know it. Oh, you're such a good detective, true to the corner. He's like, oh, wow, how do you do it? And Andy was like, well, I wake up at like six in the morning. Take a shower. I get my extra strength hair gel. <laughs> put that, <laughs> put that on. I take a blow dryer yeah. to make sure that the hair gel dries like really, really tacky mm. and prop- properly shellac. And that. I and I could spike someone. <laughs> so this monologue goes on for another five minutes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, just having watched Buffy season oh. two. Okay, with Spike. With Spike, but also with Angel's hair. Yeah. I, what is it with the 90s and hair gel? Like, this is not a good look. Has this ever been a good look? It's like you're, you're going to headbutt someone and puncture them. That's what this is. Okay, so he's like, ah, it is Prue. I must go talk to her. And he exits the crime scene and bumps into Clay. Wait, why is... Why did Clay... Well, did they, oh, no, 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 because Palmer told him that... He was going to be at this motel. Right. Yeah. And I guess you can just walk around the motel. It's fine. Yeah. So anyway, Clay walks into the crime scene and is like, my friend. He died by a scorpion. Oh, no. There's a, there's a curse, I think. 
That's a boring scene. Yeah. Anyway, go to the auction house, which has done it. It has raised enough funds to they save themselves. Sorry. Open. Capitalism lives another day. So. But also the appraisal of fine art. That's true. The appraisal of fine art also lives another day, but it's tied up in a capitalist system. Yeah. Okay. Bummer. But they did that, and then Claire walks out, and Andy walks in. Ah. Andy Trudeau. And he says, hey, Prue. And Prue's like, hey, Andy. What's up with this? Uh, you got to arrest me again? <laughs> Is that our relationship now? Because that would be a bummer. Um, and he says, no, uh, even though we are not together, I still deeply care about you. Yeah. So if you ever need anything... Um, and then I think he also talks about the crime or something or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Palmer's dead. Whatever. So never. meanwhile, Phoebe's confronting Clay. She's tracked him down and she says, I know that you stole that urn. He's like, what? You're right. I did. And Sorry. she's like, and I know that you know that it's cursed. And, and he's, he's like, like what? what? I now? don't actually know that. That's, nope. Not nope. in my jurisdiction. But Phoebe doesn't believe him and she says, it's over. It's off. Good, and she says this furiously while wearing two butterfly clips <laughs> in her hair. The duality of woman. <laughs> duality of woman. Okay, so then um, Phoebe and Piper are at the restaurant, and, um, oh, actually, I think I, like, jumped a gun earlier when I was talking about how they were talking, because they have multiple conversations, Piper and Phoebe. Yeah. And this is the one where they talk about how they should just settle. Yeah, but that's the general trajectory yeah. of this mm, uh, thread. About men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Clay visits the Hello Manor, and he comes to apologize and to turn himself in. He says that, I'm going to go to the police station. I'm going to take the urn there. Um, I, and I think we should do it together, because I don't think that uh, Prue will give the urn to the police herself. Yeah, and Phoebe's like, what? You should have just gone to the police, you dumb, <laughs> dumb, dumb. Uh, yeah, that is the strong language that she used. Um, so then she gets a vision, and she sees a snake and also Clay, and I don't know. And Clay's going to die. Okay. Oh, oh, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like, oh, wait, no. Actually, we got to go to the urn. We got to go. We got to go to the urn. You might die. To the urn. Oh, what? <laughs> so they go, and, and Prue's like, there's a curse. There's a curse. And Phoebe's like, we know. And then she materializes, the guardian of the urn. Yes, and she's like, I'm going to kill you for your greed. For you have greeted, and that I shall punish. Um, and then they were like, Clay, run! And he runs. And they try to use magic on the Guardian, but it doesn't work, and they're uh, quite rightfully perturbed. Yes. The Guardian's like, you are also greedy. Time to die. Time to die. And they're like, uh... Run! And so they just run. They just run, and the guardian's like, I will stand here <laughs> and look sinister. I can't move anywhere because my headdress is very heavy. Yes. Me with my heavily cold eyes. And cold as in, yes. Cold as in eyeliner. eyeliner. Yeah. And also my perky nose. It is a very perky nose. It was very perky. Yeah. Anyway, um, back at the manor... Um, they're trying to find uh, what the guardian of the urn wants, and surprise, she's in the Book of Shadows. Yes. Uh, the sisters leave Clay downstairs while they go peruse the Book of Shadows in the attic, and they discover not too much information, but they think that um, if the guardian is trying to punish those who have been greedy, perhaps she will reward those who are ungreedy. <laughs> yeah, who perform a selfless perform a act. Perform a selfless act, indeed. So they go to tell Clay that that's that's what they got to do and clay is gone he's gone but he has returned to buckland and he is offering himself to the guardian he is saying take me for being what greedy. i am take me or leave me <laughs> who i was meant to be and if you give a damn take me baby <laughs> don't you want your girl hot <laughs> <laughs> don't you is this rent live uh would have been better so, yikes. Uh-oh. Ah. I said it. We're saying some inflammatory things. Yeah. I didn't We're watch Rent Live, but it looked bad. <laughs> I saw some of it. Um How can they complain about not being able to pay rent when none of them actually makes art? 
Hmm, the discourse <laughs> continues. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, we got to keep moving. So um, Doug is trying to commit his act of selflessness, and the sisters do not know that. But they think, well, uh, Phoebe knows that he probably went to go do the urn thing. So they rush over to the Buckland Manor. Or, sorry, what? To the Buckland Auction House to see where he is. Um, and they catch them. Yes. He's there. He's there. And He's about to be killed, and the guardian takes off a golden cord and throws it down, and it becomes a little sneaky. Oh. Little cobra. This cobra is so cute. I didn't even notice. Oh, it was so cute. It was just a little snakey doing its job. And I was like, good job, snakey. Look and at me wiggle. Was like, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Look at me wiggle. It was very cute. A little wiggle buddy. Um, and then the snake lunges at one of the sisters because the guardian's like, attack. I have more people to kill now. And, and then Clay puts out his arm to save Phoebe. And the snake just disappears. The snake's like, I'm wiggle at you. <laughs> Oh, it, oh, okay, oh. Um, goodbye now. <laughs> oh, it's getting very dark. <laughs> uh, oh. I was just thinking, because I'd recently also seen the Lego movie, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah, the yeah. star that's like, it's, oh, the darkness. <laughs> I'm so cold. Oh, the cold. <laughs> so I can't do it. Um, Somebody help. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Little Snakey disappears, and I guess that was Clay's selfless act was putting his arm out as a reflex. <laughs> um, but the guardian goes, okay, well then, my job here is done because you have performed a selfless act. Yeah. I, uh, and I shall disappear along with the urn, but people will always try to take the urn. And you also get the impression that she is not approving of the selfless act. She's just like, ah, damn it. Yeah. Okay, and then she leaves. I guess that counts. I think kind of the moral arc of history. No. I think that the lesson of mm-hmm. this episode is men doing slightly better things than you expect them to do mm-hmm. should be rewarded. Hmm. I don't agree with it. The bar is low. This episode sets the bar underground. <laughs> Okay, so, well, happy ending. Yeah, Guardian disappears and so does the urn. Um, and then we go on to the ending scene. Quake. Quake. Where we have found out that Doug has gone back to his clumsy, clumsy ways because uh, Piper has reversed the spell. Um, and he's out there amongst the patrons of the of the restaurant tripping and spilling all of his dishes. And he should be fired. And he should rightly. be fired. And he does one more big trip. Uh, Piper freezes the moment. And Prue is like, I, you know what? I will fix this. So she goes over to the frozen body of Doug and pulls out the um, ring that he had been holding in his jacket pocket for the past, like, several weeks and places it on the ground next to Shelly, who has um, walked by Doug and caused him to trip and drop all of his stuff. Yes, and so Piper unfreezes them. Shelly notices the little ring box and is mm-hmm. like, what's this? What? What's this? And Doug says, oh, well, I was just, I was waiting to ask you, ask me what? To marry me? And she's like, you idiot. That's what I was waiting for you to ask. That's why I broke up with you, because you were taking too gosh dang long. He's like, oh, well, you want to marry me? And she's like, yeah. He thinks there was some underlying communication issues inherent to the relationship in the first place. Apparently, they had been going out for six years, too, which, I don't know. I feel like there's more at stake here than just, you didn't ask me to marry you. Uh-huh. Some yeah. communication issues. Yeah, yeah. So, be, all is well because Doug accidentally dropped the ring box. She thinks. She thinks. But anyways, the uh, so anyway, Prue is convinced. Uh, they're all convinced that they fixed the problem and that uh, Piper gets to keep her job. And that's a happy ending on that, I guess. That wraps up that storyline. Yep. And then uh, Clay walks in mm-hmm. and asks Phoebe, do you want to come back with me to New York? And Phoebe, who has been having a little bit of an like a insecurity about living with her sisters, mm-hmm. says, you know what? No. San Francisco is the place I am meant to be for now. <gasps> Which I thought was wonderful. Yeah. Sisters together in the end. Wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. So that is that is a very good thing about that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else, questionable. There was a 
Yeah. Except for Andy. There was, I think there was, like, a, an, some weird themes. I just wanted to, like, touch on if we have time. There was one weird theme about how you, like, can't change people. They have to change themselves. And there was, like, the idea that Clay had done this big character reversal. And it was, like, inspiring. And same with pr- uh, Phoebe or whatever. I mean, I, I see it in Phoebe. But that's because we've been following the show for yeah. 11 episodes. We know Phoebe. Yeah. And Phoebe actually has had a lot of character development, especially with mm-hmm. Prue, with her relationship with Prue mm-hmm. um, and her respect for Prue. Mm-hmm. And same with Prue's respect for Phoebe. So in that way, they have been changing. Clay, we don't really get anything yeah. from him. We just get some of a story from Phoebe. Yeah, He was simply a wooden structure for us to recognize the change that has happened in Phoebe, I think. And I think that's better. I would I would rather recognize it yeah. in that order rather than the reverse. Yeah. Um, Heartwarming. So, like, yes, positive thing about we, we can see that Phoebe is changing. Mm-hmm. But the whole kind of, like, diatribe about people not changing yeah. and then Clay proving them all wrong by having a reflex yeah. <laughs> uh, is somewhat disheartening. I think, as people, we are changing all the time. Yeah. But... That does not seem like a grand change in character that same that seems like I don't know, there's nothing in it to convince me that it was a, a heroic selfless act. Yeah. That changed his whole trajectory. Yeah. And it didn't seem like she broke up with him because he was a bad person. It just seemed like no. she broke up with him because he wasn't going to lead the life she wanted him to lead. He had no future is what that was it she said he was never thinking about the future yeah all right well that kind of wraps it up for me do you have any last thoughts no my no my biggest thought was just about the mediocrity of men in this episode and how it is lauded and it should not be yeah i feel that yeah and there was no real vanquishing no it was kind of the demon death we we shouldn't we can't even rate it because there was no demon there was no death this was this was more of those, like, humanity is at fault yeah. kind of episodes. It's kind of like a fluff episode. Often, it, yeah, actually. a lot of these are. There are a lot of fluff episodes in this. There were no real major changes. There was just kind of an affirmation of Phoebe evolving as a person. Mm-hmm. And Piper had a totally whatever side plot, mm-hmm. but her powers are growing. Mm-hmm. And Prue also had a pretty whatever side plot with Buckland maybe going under but not at all there was nothing yeah. dramatic there yeah quite quite a quick decline from the uh, adventure of the last episode yeah oh I liked the last episode yeah yeah all right well, well when you have too many writers in the room that's what happens you get a watered-down script yeah so don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Say us certified <laughs> TV writers. <laughs> don't, In my opinion, <laughs> don't do it. Also, bring more uh, more guest stars on who are interesting female characters rather than cardboard cutouts. Mm-hmm. Bring back Melinda. <gasps> True. Bring back Melinda. Bring back John Cho. Yeah. Two two favorite guest stars so far. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Okay. Okay, well, that's all I got. Yep. That's oh, we I did got. it again. Yeah, we, let's do it so we can get underneath the... Whatever, let's finish it. <laughs> okay, finish him! Yeah! <laughs> Bam! Okay. Finished. So, uh... I'm Shayna. You can find me yeah. at Shayna Macy. Pretty much everywhere. Um, oh, I got a Twitter. <gasps> I have 20 followers. Heck yeah, I gotta go follow you. Oh, no. Um, it's at Shayna Macy with an underscore, mm-hmm. like at the very end. I don't know why I did it that way. Somebody has my name. <gasps> Somebody has my name. Remember how Heather Hogan was talking about how the real Heather Hogan was the voice of Ducky from The Land Before Time? Oh, yeah. I got to find out who the Shayna Macy is. Yeah. Maybe it's also the voice of Ducky <laughs> from Land Before Time. Wouldn't that be wild? Um, yes. And and Bryce, who are you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at yourbestbryce. Um, and you can also find me at Finished Foodstagram. Okay. Well, Hello. oh, you can find us yes. at Charmed Spellcast yes. on Instagram and email us charmedspellcast at gmail.com. 
And if you feel inclined, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, indeed you do. I've had some people say that they want to leave us reviews, but they have Androids. That's very, very kind of you. We'll write you a jingle anyway. So, um, yes, thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful whenever you're listening to this end of your day, night. And don't accept mediocrity in men. Yep. 2020. Okay. Bye. Bye. Never trust a scorpion who looks like she could be a lady. Never trust a lady who looks like she could be a scorpion. And if your guy friends say they've got a plan to take some artifacts from their native land, say thanks, but I think I'll pass. I've seen Black Panther and Michael B. Jordan's gonna kick your ass. So never trust a white man who looks a little shady. Never trust a shady white man with your stuff. And if your white friends say, hey, no big deal. No one really cares if we steal. Say thanks, but no thanks, you guys. I'm not here to help you colonize, and you should probably go to jail for that stuff. You've been listening to Earbud Media Production. Earbud Media. Audio for everyone.